place to be. You know what else exactly. is a good place to be? onesready.com. Go over to onesready.com and check out our store. We've integrated and completely changed our website. We've got everything that you possibly need. You know how you've been using a code everywhere? You don't have to. Anything that you buy off of our store, discounts already built in. You can just go straight there and get everything you need. Training needs, travel needs. You want one good leather bag. We, we partnered with Mission Mercantile to get some of their stuff in front of you. Their stuff is amazing. Handmade, leather, gorgeous, durable. You probably only need one bag for the rest of your life. Attack Lead is on there as well, along with our own merch. You can get one of these sweet ones ready, black on black on black shirts. No problem. They're murdered out. It's called Zero Loom. I missed the email uh, this morning where we were all going to wear the black shirts, apparently. You mm. should, well, there was no email. It's just the cool kids did it, and then the other ones didn't. So I guess <laughs> here we are. But uh, you, are, you are wearing a nice pro- Povat shirt, though. You are wearing a Project yeah, One Veteran at a Time. Yeah, I do so like that. Go support that foundation because they're doing I, great work out there. They really are. Yeah, they're doing they're doing awesome work. Zach and Chief Markham and all those dudes. Amazing. So, yeah, check out onesready.com. Check out everything that we got on there. And in case you have something that you don't see on there, like let's say you need a training program. Wh- Wait, where so would they you, find a training program? If you get program? the gear, how do you use the gear? Is that what you're yeah, getting How at? do you use the gear? Exactly. Like if you were if you were to go on our site, if you were going to go check out some of our partners, like, I don't know, Gray Man Group, you get yourself some kettlebells. Maybe you get some, yourself some training gear. How would you ever use it, Trenton? I would ask my good friend, Kevin Edgerton of 18 Alpha Fitness, what I should do, especially if I'm preparing for any of these special operations uh, pipelines and selection courses. Army, and, uh, Navy, yeah. Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, fire. It doesn't I, matter. I told Kevin to take the Navy down because it's embarrassing. But you know what? There's still people <laughs> out there trying to join. And and Kevin will hook you up because he's a better human than I am. I think that's been established. And uh, yeah. <laughs> just the, in just this ad read alone, we've established <laughs> that Edge is a great dude. Go check it out. He's got a great app. It's integrated with all of your biometric data. So you can hook your uh, Fitbit. You can hook all of your biometric data up. It feeds into the app directly. It gives you great feedback. Kevin is really responsive on there. He can change anything that you need. You can substitute stuff. You can make it harder, make it easier. It's awesome. So all of his programs, go check them out on 18alphafitness.com or over at his Instagram. Use the code one ready. So the number one ready and you'll get a discount. Kevin is an awesome guy. He's got experience not only in the special forces world. He retired as a special forces 18 alpha, hence the name. Um, however, he also trained in the pipeline. He's got a great success rate for preparing people for whatever pipeline you want. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard. It doesn't matter. If you've got something hard that you want to prepare for, Kevin can help you out. So go check out 18alphafitness.com. Use the code one ready at checkout, the number one, and then the word ready at checkout. You'll get a discount. And now on to this awesome podcast with retired pararescueman and all around good dude, Adam Getty. He's got an amazing career. He's got a lot of life experience behind him. And he is part of the Traverse Training Group, which can help you with uh, wilderness medicine. It can have austere medicine or rope rescue skills, all kinds of stuff. So Traverse Training Group uh, group.com. Adam Getty, this is a good podcast. Have a good one. Hope you enjoy. In New Mexico has a very long and storied history with aliens, but that's not important right now. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ones Ready Team Room. It's me, Aaron. You got Trent. You got Peaches. We got our guest for this week, Adam Getty, pararescueman, uh, beard enthusiast, and a whole lot more. So, Adam, welcome to the podcast. What's up, man? Thanks for having us on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. So as always, as is our standard, I just want to start with kind of like who you are and, and how you found yourself to the pararescue career field, right? So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, you want me to go all the way back to the beginning? Man, this is we could do this however you want, Big Daddy. This is your <laughs> podcast. This is your time to shine. So if you want to go all the way back to the beginning, like there I was, a young boy, four years old. Yeah, like what, yeah. when was the first <laughs> time that you knew that you were going to like get into the Air Force? 
All right. So, yeah, this is kind of a cool story, I suppose. Um, I initially got into um, I was signed up to do a trade school to be an auto mechanic after high school. Um, I, my dad did a small stint in the Air Force. So I was familiar with with the Air Force way of life. I lived on Loring Air Force Base in the northern part of Maine when I was 10 years old. Uh-huh. Um, kind of kind of a cool place chasing moose around in the middle of the forest. Uh, we were the classic generation where we could be gone all day riding bikes and just c- come home by dark, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I didn't really want to go to college. And uh, so so I was doing the trade school thing. And then I got a recruiter email, get a free flashlight, something like that. So I accidentally put my name and number on this thing and the recruiters wouldn't leave me alone. And um <laughs> Well, you know, one of the things about joining the Air Force uh, was that they had the free college kind of stuff. Uh, it was an attraction to me. And so I went and took the ASVAB, uh, scored real well on the mechanical stuff and the electronics. I loved physics. but So they offered me jobs like um, aircraft armament systems, uh, which sounded interesting. Oh, maybe I could work on that gun on the A-10. Or, right. And I found out later that it was a bomb loader. You know, all you do all yeah. day long, all you do is put bombs together and load them onto the aircraft. Same thing every day, all day long. I love, um, uh, I love how these, some of these jobs, they sound great. It's like waterboarding at Guantanamo Bay sounds awesome until you find out what those words mean. And then it's not <laughs> awesome at all. You know, like the air force has jobs like that, like air, but you know, my old job, aerospace physiologist, that sounds super cool. Like, nah, you're, you're an instructor. Like it's, it's sort of cool. It's really not that cool. Right. Right. Um, let's see. They offered, I ended up taking, uh, electronic, uh, some kind of, um, uh, back shop electronics work. That was what my guaranteed job was. So I'm in the recruiter's office and I see this picture and a news article and it says, uh, ninja surgeons and this kid's in the push up position on the blue mats <laughs> and pool of sweat and, um, I was like I was reading down through the description and it said paramedic and I, that was the hook. I wanted to become a paramedic because I thought that would be really good on the outside in addition to getting some college, you know, so I was really trying to use the Air Force as a career tool to move forward. Little did I know they would destroy my life. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> are, there, are there not a lot of uh, uh, jobs out there for ninja surgeons on the civilian side? Yeah, that's not a, that sounded cool. Maybe a PA, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we get that um, question all the time where folks are just like, hey, I want to do something that's exactly like being a you know, pararescue man. I just want to do it on the outside. And we're like, uh, go, go to the guard. That's as close as you're going to get. Like, There really aren't a whole lot of ninja surgeon jobs where you get to work the ER and then occasionally go shoot somebody. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe what I do now is pretty close, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, nice. So uh, I didn't. I was not able to come in to the to the Air Force uh, with a guaranteed job. I the, the recruiter messed up the paperwork, so I'm still uh, guaranteed to some other job. So I had to volunteer during basic. What was interesting back then is I, I showed up and I I gave it my all on the pass test and. Um, uh, I jumped out of the pool at like six minutes and the guy was like, wow. And uh, I was kind of, I was ready for that. Uh, I was not ready for the duration of training. Um, I I could do a lot of cows and I could run, but not like back to back to back all day long. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, I did the pass test and I get to the end and everyone's in the room of the, I don't know, 20 or 30 people that passed that day. And uh, they said, uh, uh, oh, you're you're the top number. What do you want to do? I'm like, what do you mean? What do you, what do I want to do? 
you pick combat control or pick pararescue. I was like, okay, I pick pararescue. They gave the first two guys the pair, the option. Everyone else got CCT. Um, to, to you go. hate to see it, you know, Peaches. <laughs> how, how does that, how does that make you feel, man? Does that does that make you feel bad? What? Hey, Adam, what year was this? this when you started this process? That was ninety four. Okay, ninety four. Got it. All right, and they did that. I think around that time for about two years because the career field was so undermanned that they're yep. just like, hey, guess what? If you volunteer in basic, you don't get a pick. <laughs> But, but part of that part of that was the the recruitment. Like, I mean, even I came in, I had no idea what CCT was. I came in to be a PJ because, and then I show up at Indoc, and it there was you like, go. and it was like, what what are these dudes? Like, I thought this was PJs, and and hey, there were CCT candidates with CCT instructors, and then when they kind of briefed, hey, what what does CCT do? Because it was it was along those same lines. Like, good God, dude, it, you know. Even now, recruiting for PJ, like everybody wants to be a hero, right? Um, I need a hero, baby. Let's yeah. go. Well, so, you know, it, what, what can you say? I mean, <laughs> good looking, great hair. Look at his I beard. Mean, listen, listen, look at his beard. Any, How do you even yeah. say anything about it? Like, it, it's yeah. just a thing. He's contractually obligated to look yeah. good. He's you the last both, of the big You got spenders. both sides of it. You got, you got the bearded bearded vikings right and then you got people like rj casey that doesn't rj age, casey's so good looking that has got the chiseled jaw yeah i mean like of course pj is what everybody's going to want to pick i just you know but the real work is done by cct i mean it's just <laughs> no that's cool i haven't i don't like like every time that pjs and cct's get into this you gave me a compliment and i've been thinking in my head how cool i've been so i missed yeah. the punchline you guys are terrible you guys you got to front load the punchline and then let, let us think about it later uh the hardest part about rj casey rj casey being on extraction two was chris hemsworth <laughs> developed quite a crush on rj casey from what i understand and i understand it like I when mean, i can i'm on board with it when thor is looking at you like oh geez you're a superhero that's how you know you made it i'm sorry Adam. so we we completely digress there so yeah. if i can get us back on track here uh 94 you were starting yeah, yeah. Uh, that intro uh they need a ton of cct's they don't need a ton of pjs here we go Oh, yeah. So I ended up volunteering uh, for Pararescue, of course, doing that class. Uh, I was 9404. Uh, some of you guys are, might be familiar with a, a fellow that was in that selection school class, uh, Ramon Colon Lopez. Ah, uh, yes. Heard and, him. I, yeah, I think nope. I have. Yeah, I heard that. And, and so then I managed to get all the way to the very end, and I failed push-ups by one half. I was stuck halfway up on the last number. They, they even reavowed me on the, you know, after the last, uh, and I, I passed, oh, I, I failed pull-ups as well. So on my reavow, I, I passed pull-ups, failed push-ups, had to start over with balls 595. And uh, that was, uh, you might be familiar with one of the cats that was in that, Tony Alec. He's got, still holds one of the swim records down there. Um, he does. That guy was absolutely insane. Uh, so him and I were best friends, and... Um, there's an interesting story about him and scuba school. Him and I traveled together because his mom was an MPC chief. And so she put me with him because she knew I was a good influence. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and so, uh, so we get to scuba school on day one, we go swimming and, uh, I put out, I just went for a long surface swim. It was like 2000 meters or whatever. And I hit the beach with this SF guy and, uh, Tony was just chilling in the middle of the pack <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh that's when they said hey welcome this is your swim partner for the rest of the class 
Mm. And uh, you so, hate to see it. So now Tony, the, the collegiate number two swimmer in the country, is uh. dragging this fat SF dude through the ocean <laughs> for the next three weeks. Um, and, and let me I'm, just, I'm, yeah, let me just tell you, like Tony Alec, like he is a uh, pararescue man. He was an instructor, I believe. He is in law enforcement now. I think that was like he yeah. transitioned into law enforcement, second part of his life. This guy is a legend. When we say that he's a good swimmer, like he he's pretty much known in the PJ career field as like the l- most legendary swimmer of all time. He would knock out underwaters and he would take like three strokes, like top. Mm-hmm. And it didn't mm-hmm. and it was not hard for him. So he would, you know, maybe 15 seconds underwater, three long strokes, very calm. You'd put BDUs on him and he would it would take him like maybe five strokes. He would do it was it was ridiculous. He was uh, actually one of my instructors the first time that I went through Indoc. He actually held, I, will, I believe it's like the underwater record, but mm-hmm. the way that he, the way that, uh, uh, what was it? The swim record, the fin record. Yeah. Yeah. He had four swim records and I think one still stands. Um, I watched the guy who has this, the underwater record. He was a tall redheaded CCT guy mm-hmm. and, uh, he did 117 meters and it took him two and a half minutes. And, and I just, I just, I'm standing on the pool. I held my breath while he was underwater for as long as I could. And then he's. And I'm just standing there, and he just just continue to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, that, crazy. that's crazy. I just for for the listeners though, because you know we we get it having gone to scuba school. The way they do the the swim teams though is based off of time. So your your number one, you know your your number one swim team is your fastest dudes, and your and then you know your last swim team is your slowest. Um, and then once you're once you're on that swim team, like that's it. There's no hey, we're redoing this. Yeah, so that's it. The uh, entire time. <laughs> So that's that sucks. And <laughs> as, having been the last swim team, and the only time I would progressed is when people either quit or failed. Um, yeah, yeah, I was always getting dragged, dude. When I went to school, I uh, so when I went to high school, I had a um, hip flexor injury. So for the first week, like I was dealing with this like nasty hip flexor. I was always a, a pretty good finner. I was a, a swimmer in high school, played my, you know water polo in my shorts in college, so <clears> I could swim pretty well. So I did the same. I like totally screwed my buddy. It was much like this morning when I forgot to send Adam the appropriate link and everything I would. Uh, I have a long history of being a blue Falcon. So no kidding. Like my hip flexor was really bothering me. Well, it finally, like I finally got over it. And then my swim buddy, like I was paired up with my swim buddy uh, and had a very slow time on those open water fins because my hip flexor was just on fire. And then finally, like pool week made it okay so by the time that we're out and actually swimming my my hip flexor was the same and i was just dragging this poor pj student with me the entire <laughs> time because we were just completely mismatched in actual times but all right so uh there we are dive school melvin alex is uh, towing around so- a very fat special fo- <laughs> special forces dude yeah man um so yeah okay so got to kirtland uh no so i graduated with with that class uh, ended up at Kirtland with Ramon Cologne, Matt Field, uh, a whole bunch of dudes um, that have done really good things in the in the career field. Um, and then graduated in 96. I ended up four years at Nellis as a rescue PJ. Um, we are at that time, we were doing Operation Northern Watch, Southern Watch. And so we we're basically sitting on our thumb. Uh, it, it, Moody and us and the guard would, would just rotate out, uh, every two months. And, uh, so sometimes you got one, two, maybe three deployments in a year of 60 days at a whack. And, um, so my, you know, the, the, the coolest story that I could tell you about being on alert in a, in Turkey, 
uh, was that my flight engineer uh, slammed a, uh, we were just sitting there with engines shut off in this forward location. And uh, he was dunking a basketball at this little camp. And he, cu- he caught his hand on the hooks that were outside the rim. Instead of the hooks being inside the rim, they were out. It's like his handmade basketball hoop. And he filleted his hand open. And uh, I could see all the tendons in his hand. And so I just put a rolled gauze in there, made a nice pressure dressing, and made sure that his trigger finger was sticking out. And then I actually uh, <laughs> uh, sat in the right seat and read the checklist and manned the gun on the right side as we were heading back uh, to our normal location when they shut down the box. So um, uh, that kind of takes me back to uh, originally, back in those days, uh, I was trained as a left seat scanner. That was how rescue PJs operated. So we had one dude in the back and one dude in the left seat. And if we needed to do a pickup, we literally abandoned the left side of the aircraft to go do our pickup. If that were to ever happen, which never did because I'm sitting on in Kuwait <laughs> on a deployment waiting for, you know, someone to get shot down, which is our bread and butter. The only thing we exist for someone loses an engine or something like that. Oh, that happened in, in uh, Turkey. Someone lost an engine and went down. And so we're like, this is it. This is the great rescue. You know, no, nothing has happened since Mogadishu. And uh, so that's the era that I'm living in. And uh, so we spin up and start going. And like, never mind, somebody picked him up. And we're like, wait a minute. We're the only rescue asset in Southwest Asia. That's uh, just a farmer. <laughs> and, and it turns out some CIA bird went over the hill and picked him up. Some, some black ops thing that was not on the ticket. So... Um, so then another time we're in Kuwait and apparently the threat level went up. So I'm looking across the the tarmac and there's a 53 full of STS guys. I'm like, wait a minute, where do these guys come from? Are they just flying on through? I'm like, no, they're here because the threat level went up. I'm like, what am I chopped liver? Like literally (laughs) air, air combat command did not know what to do with its rescue PJs back then. And I'm really glad that over the years there's, people have gotten into some business, uh, but I got kind of shafted. So uh, four years of sitting on alert, not really doing much. And really in the world, there wasn't much going on. So I volunteered to become uh, an instructor. So from 2000 to 2004, um, and that is where I think I met the illustrious Aaron Love. (laughs) Um, Hi. So I, I was an instructor. Uh, they <laughs> Sorry, that's where it all went downhill for you. you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I, I look around the career field right now, and, and it's kind of interesting that like my peer group is either a chief, retired, or an inst- or, or in charge of something. Um, like I said, Ramon and I graduated together. Um, uh, Chad McCoy, you've had him. I was his supervisor at Nellis. Um <laughs> You know, and like I ran into him at a at a graduation and he goes, hey, Gaddy, how's it going? I look at his name tag. I'm like, McCoy, that sounds familiar. What is that? (laughs) And and I like completely brain dropped it. And, uh, you know, like um, uh, there's a bunch of other names I could drop. But anyway, um, other people have done some really, really cool things. So at 10 years, I decided to prioritize my family over over deployments because by that. Oh, you know, so I'm 2001. The towers come down. I'm an instructor. The world blows up in rescues left and right. We're talking like jump missions into minefields, um, the, the coolest things, and they wouldn't let me go. Uh, we like every one of us instructors said, "Please send me," and they they wouldn't send us. So um, uh, I, I was 
I was Jason Plight's instructor. I was Cunningham's instructor. Like I, I remember Cunningham. You guys want to hear a funny story about Cunningham? Uh, good kid. Uh, uh, both I liked both of those guys quite a bit. But Cunningham was kind of a gear junkie, kind of a nerd. Uh, when we did land nav with him, he showed up with a clicker so that he could do pace counts, like the ones they, <laughs> when they people walk through the store and you click, click. So he's literally walking through the woods out in Magdalena, Grants, wherever, clicking this little silver. Uh, thingamajigger and then uh, we get to AirOps, and he brings these um, iridium coated oakley um, goggles to wear during AirOps. Um, and we're like give me those and we threw them you know the the, the four dollar uh sun wind and dust goggles, goggles. Yeah. But, but yeah but most people also don't know that he like failed paramedic twice uh because he had such a good attitude and it was because it was by such a narrow margin that they let him try i think a third time now, Maybe somebody out there knows um, a little better than I do. I know Brent Manny knows him way better than I did, but but he he was just a really good guy, and everybody really liked him. And the fact that he went out there and developed that that blood program um, was a testimony to what you can do when you don't when you don't succeed the first time. Uh, and then something that I did when I became an, an instructor too is uh, you know I was mostly into weightlifting at the time, but I. Um, I started doing triathlons because I didn't want to be that instructor that was overweight. When when I came through, there was a bunch of master sergeants in charge of the schoolhouse, and half of them were pretty hefty fellas. And as a young kid, you're 19 years old thinking this is the moving and shooting pinnacle of military awesomeness, and then you get this disgusting fat body as an instructor. So I uh, I just vowed to never be that guy. And I, I hope that you remember me as that because I really pushed myself to uh, be better than what I came at naturally. I, I struggled so hard to run. I'm built like a shoebox with training wheels. <laughs> um, my dad gave me these genetically very large legs. So if, if the selection was based on squatting propensity, then I'd be golden. But um, you know, narrow shoulders and a trunk like body made for not a good swimmer, not a good, I wasn't good at anything. You and are so built I, like a fire hydrant. I will give you that. Like yeah. you 100, you 100% are, <laughs> resemble a fire, a fire hydrant. Thank you. Fire hydrant. I'm going to start using that. That's, that's no going to be my new mantra. So, um, <laughs> I, I do a lot of deltoid things to make me look like not, you know, well, something. Wait a minute. How tall are you though? I'm 5'10". Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the best height. You're you're be. more of like a, I don't I don't think you're a fire hunter. You're probably more like a Bullard kind of thing. You know, in a in a parking lot kind so of thing. He just, okay. he just has the the market cornered on fire hydrants. Yeah. So. I am the only one that is short enough to be a fire hydrant because <laughs> we okay. are about even two and a half feet tall. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'd seen your podcast before, but I didn't meet you till that graduation a few months ago, and I was like, yeah. oh yeah, that's you're much, that makes you're much taller on the internet. <laughs> That, yeah. yeah, that's my favorite thing about it is everybody's like, oh, I met Peaches and he's really that short. Guys, do you think we've been lying to you the yeah. entire time? Do you think like, do you think like he's just been taking short joke after short joke on the chin for t- five years because like we just think it's funny. It's like a gimmick we're running. No, he's really short, everybody. Adam, yeah. you, you, um, uh, real quick, just cause I want to, I want to pick at this a little bit is the, um, the fat instructors, right? Like we, yeah. we, in, in, this episode, I don't believe, has published yet. Uh, but we were talking about um, how much, how important it is, or why why people um, kind of look up to people that work out or that are 
incredibly physically fit and tone. And it's, it, it's about the discipline that is required to do that. And, you know, folks that are in the fitness industry or have at least dabbled in kind of getting in shape or playing sports or anything like that can respect the amount of work and dedication uh, to getting to that point. What, what was that like when you showed up? you know, as a student and you did have instructors that were kind of overweight. I mean, they're, they're still, you know, great human beings still able to do things, but like, did that, did that kind of dissuade you at all? Oh, without a doubt. Um, they, you, you take kind of what they have to say and it's a grain of salt. You know, it's, it's like, uh, you kind of, they're dismissed almost, mm-hmm. uh, no matter how much, uh, those young guys that are looking, uh, for a hard charger are going to dismiss, uh, anything else. And we actually struggled. Um, when I, be, when I was there as an instructor, we had some contract instructors that were civilians and I had to sit down the kids and say, Hey, look, these guys have a different experience. Uh, they are not PJs. Don't expect them to be, uh, but please give them their, their just uh, respect because they mo- know more about cardiac, um, and you might be on a Nico getting rid of uh, emptying out an embassy and some dude that's not fit has a heart attack. Um, so it's really important that you focus on medicine and not just trauma as a PJ. We, you have to be the Jack of all the trades. So yeah, I, th- I think it's super important. But then again, my advice to that is you're be, you're prejudging someone based on their appearance Mm-hmm. Uh, so please do try to filter that as much, as much as you can give people the benefit of the doubt and, and learn something from them. Uh, even yep. if it's, even if it's, uh, I'm going to do a few extra push ups and maybe not eat that donut. <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. I, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, you got to understand is that especially with instructors, they have already been doing the job. They definitely were not like that the entire time. And then sometimes some are dealing with, uh, you know, back breaks or neck fractures and, or, you know, part of the reason, uh, why some, some instructors go to be instructors or volunteer to be instructors. One is they need some downtime, but at the same time, like maybe they have been because of deployments and, and we, we never turn them down. Um, they have been putting off operations on their shoulder or knees or, or getting stuff looked after. So once they get there, that is their time to recover, get well. And so there's, there's some weight gain there, but you also have to be competent in your job just because you can get to the mountain the fastest, or you can swim to the beach the fastest or whatever it is. If you can't get there and do the job, it doesn't matter how fast you were. You're just, you're running to your death or you're running to whatever. And you're just going to be the first one. So congrats. <laughs> yeah. Swim, swim team number one to your impending death because you couldn't figure out how to do basic tactics and or yeah. shoot, move, communicate. Yeah. Well, I also, I have another story on that. We, we got out to Nellis um, and one of our team just kind of let himself go. He's like, now I'm a PJ. I don't have to work out as much. And we ended up on the top of Mount Charleston. Most people don't know that uh, right outside of Vegas, which is 2,400 feet, there's a 12,000 foot mountain out there. So we would go do, um, you know, mountain operations up there is a great opportunity for a desert team to go do wilderness stuff. So we're up there uh, at about 10,000 feet and he got mountain sickness because he was not fit. And that's like the number one way to prepare yourself for mountain ops is to be super fit, your VO2 max to be on point. 
and you can get up there and adapt uh, so much easier. He ended up succumbing to um, foot problems and uh, frostbite and uh, oh, yeah. headache, uh, sick, like so mountain sickness, uh, headache, dizziness, mm -hmm. uh, nauseous. It's a precursor to uh, other serious, more serious illnesses. So we we got him down off the mountain pretty quick, but he kind of ruined the trip because we had to take two guys uh, to get him off the mountain while the rest of us built this massive shelter in the snow. And, um, we're having a good time living the PJ training life. And, um, uh, you know, so that's just one of the examples. And, and since then he, he fixed his ways. He learned, learned from that experience. <laughs> he was just trying um, to give you realistic, uh, medical scenarios to deal with. And, and sounds like and he was just a good teammate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He threw himself on that grenade. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Let's see. That's that's pretty much my career. Uh, say, so now, <laughs> now uh, I did 12 years as a paramedic firefighter. So I learned a lot about medicine out there, treating people, gunshot wounds, stabbings, motorcycle crashes. Um, I've seen some of the worst possible places in humanity. Um, and I did have one day where I saved two people, my team, and I saved two people in 24 hours. So I, I you know, CPR in progress, that kind of stuff. And uh, they both walked out of the hospital and were very thankful. We had guys uh, that we saved uh, bring big, giant, like 40-pound boxes of grass-fed meat to the station. Uh, so so being a paramedic can be very rewarding. It can also be extremely stressful. Um, like I found that uh, from the time that you, you arrive at work, you're just kind of always anticipating that next call. And, and so your cortisol level just kind of stays way too high. And I, I find myself dealing with, you know, various mental health issues uh, towards the end of that uh, business. And um, we can talk about that more later if you're interested. But uh, I decided to I got this. Uh, I'm on the rope rescue team with the with the Rio Rancho. And we did this massive exercise outside of Albuquerque, met this guy uh, on the side of the mountain who was part of Albuquerque Mountain Rescue. He finds out I'm, I'm a PJ we, we get on the phone and a few months later, I've got a job as a contractor, fast roping and rappelling and doing op four um, with the 58th Sal on Kirtland. So I left that paramedic gig and it's because of my history as a PJ um, doing AIEs and uh, being a paramedic that this job opportunity came up. So um, people go, man, I really want your job. And I'm like, well, <laughs> In order to do what I do, you got to do what I did. And uh, that's from John Maxwell, by the way. Um, and so uh, it's kind of been an interesting career path. Um, so I, you know, do this contractor thing. Last night, I, I flew with the 60s out to a site. They dropped us off. Uh, we maneuvered to a new position. Then another helicopter came in to do a CSAR scenario. And we lit them up with fake AKs. We just had ground fires. And um, they did their thing, and then they came back, and we did some hoists, and um, and then I had to fly for another two hours in the back, and bounce around, and I'm too old for that. But uh, <laughs> no way, so, yeah. So then I got home at like one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. Um, so and then here I am. Um, I, I do uh, I do two other things on the side of that job. Uh, I, I own Traverse Training Group. Uh, traverse training group.com 
that is probably the landing page I want to send anybody to that, that wants to get a hold of me is just traverse training group.com. Cause that there's a, a, you can just put your information in there and it'll email me. Um, but I do wilderness medicine on the weekends, um, small arms training, CPR, first aid, AED training. Um, uh, so I do anything from doctor's offices to schools to, um, just anybody who wants to get out in the woods, um, uh, like, uh, guides come come to me and get their wilderness first aid cert so they can have their guide cert uh and then that uh, i was about 2010 um, my wife started not feeling very good and um she she was like lethargic headaches all the time um just not feeling good and and it got worse and worse to the point where she was like in bed most of the day uh she had headaches every day and she would um kind of walk around the house with like shooting earmuffs those big ones because just a normal conversation would give her a splitting headache. She was noise sensitive, light sensitive. Um, so we went to a lot of doctors and no one could figure out what it was until finally we sent her out to, um, in 2014. So four years of trying to figure out what that was. She went out to Phoenix and got tested 37 vials of blood, stool samples, urine samples, tissue samples. And they said, Oh wow, you've got a really bad case of Lyme disease. And, and we don't even know, you know, like, she just kind of, she always had a little bit of fatigue problems throughout her life, but it, it wasn't until, you know, the, that period where it just got so bad that it, we needed to go to doctors. But so we never saw the tick with this bullseye rash on her. Um, and once we're in that Lyme world, you find out that, you know, it was just like uh, certain things that have happened in 2020 that was grown in a lab. Um uh, so Lyme is probably like that. I, I mean, we again, we could talk about that for. Uh, oh for boy, hey, you want to <laughs> say you're, you're on the right podcast, baby? You want to talk right. about how Lyme disease didn't exist before it appeared to be a bioweapon, which was engineered on the East Coast in about the 1950s, bro? I'm in. Stop. Like, I, okay. I would, be, I would all right. be here all day. That's a whole different podcast, but I am in, brother. Right. Next stop, in. aliens. Next so let's stop, listen. So let's uh, let's get on to that one on the next one. I'll be I'll be your conspiracy huckleberry. Okay. <laughs> I, you are in the right place, Trent. You just mark it down on your calendar right now. We got the I'm next in. one coming up. <laughs> All right. So uh, Jim Caviezel, both. We'll bring them both in. Talk about yeah, it. Nice, I'm in nice. for this. Awesome. So uh, anyway, we got her tested and they said, okay, great. We can treat you next week. It's like an in outpatient system. Hey, that's only $70,000 and insurance doesn't cover it. Um, wow. So, so this is what most Lyme patients see is that doctors are like, well, if you got a bullseye rash, here's your antibiotics. Three weeks later, you're going to be fine. But, but very few people understand what chronic Lyme looks like. And, and this is when you get the Lyme and it, and it just hibernates in the body and just, um, so anytime I meet somebody that has those kind of symptoms that I talked about and they've been to all the doctors and neurologists and they don't know what's wrong with them. Um, I was like, it's probably Lyme disease and you just didn't know you had it. So mm -hmm. there's a couple of ways you can treat it. She ended up getting treated in uh, Washington, D.C. in a clinic out there. So we flew her out there and um, she's taken like $900 bottles of yellow snarf malaria medication. And she had this basket full of both um, prescription medications and antibiotics as well as all these herbs and um, all kinds of crazy stuff. And we call that crunchy stuff. Like um, we used to buy herbs uh, from this bulk herb store because we started to make our own bread and, and, and do this holistic, um, you know, not see the doctor kind of stuff. And so here I am a paramedic and I'm trying to uh, treat, I'm in the back of the ambulance. I started an IV on someone. I got their heart to slow down 
And I'm like, you know, what you really need is some cat's claw for that. And, um, and, and, <laughs> and awesome. if you could just put some comfrey on that, that abrasion, you'd be much better off. Have you ever heard uh, of horny goat weed, my friend? This would be <laughs> right. Like, like you're out there like aligning chakras. <laughs> like, hey, uh, hold on. Let's, let's take it hey, easy on the pharmacology. Oh, bur- hey, burning hey, sage. Wait a minute. If you want to talk about uh, chakras, let's talk about the frequency oh, of fabrics. Okay. My wife is now into wool fabric because of frequencies. All right. Let's go. I don't right. care. If it works, it works. Like, you know, humans existed for hundreds of thousands of years and, you know, found ways to make complex societies and do things that we can't explain to this day. You're telling me that they didn't have some of these homeopathic remedies like locked up? Yeah, Come on, and I, bro. I'm, I'm about to run a wire from my bed all the way out to the ground just to make sure that I'm properly grounded while I sleep. But again, we <laughs> can. Here uh, for it. We're, we're going to talk about that some other time. So uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, okay. So long story short, I see that we've been at this for half an hour. Um, it goes uh, quick, doesn't it? <laughs> my my um, we we finally got a hold of somebody that had that had gotten over Lyme. So after six months of this treatment from this other doctor. Uh, we said we got to try something else, and uh, so we tried. Uh, uh, a, a company uh, sold an all-natural product that that focuses on gut health, and a lot of times Lyme patients have really bad gut health, overgrowth of yeast and candida, um, bad bad balance, and all that kind of stuff. So what it does is it stops your immune system from fighting stuff off. Um, so she went on uh, a, a number of products from them. And, and it includes a really great probiotic that she was on four probiotics. So we're spending like 150, almost $200 a month on probiotics for her. And, and this one's 37 and it's got enzymes to break down fats and, and bad stuff. And, and then, um, so we did that. And three months later, my wife's out of bed doing the house chores again. Like I, my oldest daughter at the time, she was 14. Her and I were doing grocery shopping, all the, the, oh, did I mention at this time we had six children? Uh, good on you dude so right now in order to keep the american culture and the american way of life you need to have 2.6 children in order to keep our birth rates up i want to say thank you for going extra credit man i appreciate you and that's a very american citizen thing to do (laughs) so i do want to say too uh just from my own personal reflection over the last like two years i've started to really focus more on gut health so as you're talking about you know gut health and they call the gut the second brain right because that's where almost all of your serotonin is made it's where every like your your whole body Uh, I didn't make it up. So in your face, uh, I'll tell you what, it's, it's, you know, completely changed my life, my physicality, the way that I'm aging, the way that I'm feeling like focusing on gut health and actually paying attention to what's going on in your gut and your gut biome is one of those things that I'm just like, I can't believe I didn't know this earlier. Uh, so yeah, those are all the things that, that I was going to eventually get to in that the, the gut is, is your happy. It's your, it's the place where, where your mental health is, is born. It's the place where your inflammation is cured. It's the place where stuff and toxins are eliminated, you know? So, so we, our company really focuses on gut health for both immunity and anti-inflammatories. And so if I could get to the main point of, of why I, I want to share this with everybody is that, uh, I learned, you know, when I was 23, I was eating uh, Twinkies and Mountain Dew for breakfast. And I was lifting five days a week and living the PJ life. I was a beast. But I could have been so much better. I, I could have been and um, so much faster, so much stronger had I realized that what I was feeding my body was garbage. Way too much processed foods, way too much sugar, way too much white bread. And um, 
And so now it's, you know, go, go find your nutritionist and get on a good diet plan. But, but uh, proteins, um, collagen proteins are really good for joint inflammation. Um, the probiotics are really good. Uh, most of our American diet, we call it the standard American diet. It's called the SAD. And it is, dev it is devoid of, of proper nutrients to feed your body for maximum performance. So if you're thinking about getting into special warfare and you have never really studied nutrition, I would highly, highly, highly recommend it because uh, what's on the shelf in the supermarket is not going to help you reach your goals. Um, so getting your gut health in order has helped me a lot with PTS uh, to make sure that I am mentally capable of, of helping my family, helping my friends, doing the work that I do and not being a, a potato. Um, because when you're depressed, you just, you know, you're not good for much. And so it's really important to focus on, on gut health for that. Uh, I rarely get sick because of gut health. Um, and so I was riddled with pain, uh, after my wife got better, uh, she said, try this stuff. And I'm like, ah, I'm good. I, you know, I'm still running, I'm firefighting, but I had, I had my ACL replaced when I was 22. So I'm a, a fresh PJ and I dislocated my knee when I was in Kuwait and got sent home and uh, had my ACL replaced. And so I'm literally running uh, 25 years later on the same knee reconstruction that I did. They, they removed most of the meniscus in there. And I was taking 2,400 milligrams of Motrin every day. Don't recommend that. I was taking Ooh. glucosamine. Um, I tried the paleo diet. Uh, that helped a little bit with my bringing my pain down just a, mar a margin. Uh, but it wasn't until I started taking uh, one of the anti-inflammatory products from Plexus that that uh, that all of a sudden my arthritis in my hand was all swelled up like I would use a chainsaw or a hammer or something and my knuckles would swell up. And um, and all of a sudden my plantar fasciitis went away, my knee swelling went away. And so now instead of like planning my workouts around my knee recovery, I can go to the gym, do legs. Next day I could ride my bike. I love mountain biking, so I'm out. I can hike with my kids, jump on the trampoline. Um, and, and I wish that I would have taken better care of my body when I was young, because now I'm having to work very hard to, uh, keep it, uh, going so that I can do the things that I love to do, which is basically be a big kid. Um, you know, uh, at, at just about 50 years old, I go to the gym and these 20 year olds, they don't want to work out with me. Uh, they're like, I see what Good. you do. I am not interested. I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> I'm not Get interested. Over get over Pass. here. Uh, let You can just do less weight than me. Follow me on this circuit. And, and so they do that sometimes. And I've got a nice little following in the gym there. Um, so, um, I would just recommend that, uh, you get a hold of me if you're, if you're heading for the pipeline or if you're about to go, uh, do, uh, straighten out your nutrition, give yourself the best chance of recovery. Uh, when it comes, we've got electrolytes, we've got probiotics, we've got anti-inflammatories, and it's all natural, um, no side effects other than feeling better. And um, won't pipe on a uh, drug test for the active duty folks. Um, it will, it, no, it will clear every drug test. Um, it, there's nothing in it. We can I, anybody who wants uh, fact sheets and information, I can give you ingredients. But it's super clean, gluten free, um, very very easy to take. Um, and uh, all you have to do is um, get a hold of me and we'll talk about exactly what you need. But yeah, I, I went through, I remember, you remember Chris Larkin, you know, Chris Larkin yeah. teaches. Yeah. So it would maybe possibly just a little conflict of interest, but he, he brought us all in on like the second day of, 
of, uh, of selection. And he shares this supplement company with us. And he goes, you need this for recovery and you need that for that. And about half, maybe even three quarters of the group signed on to this supplements. And we ordered those supplements throughout and they were good. Uh, they were, they did help, but I think it was a, maybe, you know, as an instructor who's about to smash you in the pool, maybe a little uh, arm pulling to say, yes, this is the best stuff. But see, so I'm not your instructor. I'm just the guy who's been through it a few times. And, and I would highly recommend um, this stuff is very highly effective and we help people feel better all the time. That's good. It's all, it's important to be, to be feeling better. You know, it's, you're, you're about to put your body through a whole bunch of stuff. So, um, I do want to hit the, and maybe this is kind of past cause I'm definitely taking a, a step back, but the gut health thing, mm-hmm. um, I, just, I mean, cause it's, it's easy to read about. It's easy to talk about. And I, it's not difficult to actually follow. I mean, it, say you don't want to get other, you know, um, Say you don't want to buy supplements, stuff like that. Can you just take, you know, uh, what is it? Kelfer? Is that right? Kefir. 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 Yeah. So what you're going to get, kefir's great. Uh, Kimchi, great. Uh, All real, actual sauerkraut. The stuff you get in the store is not real sauerkraut. If you want real sauerkraut, you got to ferment your cabbage on your own. Because, I mean, there's some raw, natural sauerkraut on there. You're going to spend like 20 bucks a jar on it. Just make it yourself. It's super easy. Um, But what you got, like your typical amount of uh, um, bugs that you want to put in there, the good ones, the good bacteria, the probiotic bacteria, you got to take like 20 servings of yogurt to get the same amount of probiotics from a supplement. Um, Mm. And then, you know, there are differences from one supplement to another, you got live cultures. That's the word I was looking for, live cultures. Um, so, you know, other cultures like the Southeast Asia where they're eating uh, fermented foods all the time, they've got this really good natural gut flora. And that is one of the main reasons why they, let, they live so long is because of that, that gut health, the anti-inflammatory effects, the antioxidants of it all. Um, so what I'd say is in today's... Um, nutrient deficient diet it's a really really good idea to supplement and for like 37 dollars a month i think it's worth every single penny uh that's one thing is um have you guys have talked about poverty mindset versus um a success mindset or a wealth mindset at all like you know saying not poverty one well you know like victor like a poverty mindset says there's not enough or I need to save uh, for this thing. And, and um, I don't believe that there's enough or like uh, if somebody else succeeds, I can't, I can't celebrate their win because that somehow might take away from my success. Uh, it's kind of all the same thing is like, there's, there's not enough to go around. And so um, I, I just don't believe that that's true. I believe you can succeed. You can succeed. I can succeed. We can all succeed. Mm-hmm. We all get a car, you know, that kind of thing. Um and that uh, if you uh, plan, plan investing in your health and, and in your and don't 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 spend those dollars on a, on a pizza on Friday night. Spend those dollars on on some better food uh, for yourself. I like pizza. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I've, I've been feeling attacked for a long time. I, I don't know. have open toed sandals. I'm not sure I, I belong in this conversation. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, you, ha- you had me at Lyme disease. 
you had me, you know, yeah, being you, a you set the like you had in. me on. A I set, was there, yeah. But when you start attacking my pizza, like, <laughs> come on, man. All, right. all right, give up something else then. Find yeah. out something yeah. you can take thirty-eight bucks and spend it on something. <laughs> just find it in your budget somewhere. It, it's worth it. It's absolutely worth every penny to invest to invest in your health. That's what I, I love. That Peach's pizza budget is thirty-eight dollars. I love that. That's how much he loves pizza. Oh, that's on a slow week. <laughs> Are you kidding me Gross. right now? <laughs> the worst thing I do is, you know, uh, Donna's great. She she sends me in with leftovers and that kind of stuff, which is fantastic, and I appreciate it. Sometimes, though, you know, uh, I forget to bring them in or something like that, and I'll it'll be two o'clock, and I haven't eaten or anything like that because I don't do the intermittent fasting. And there is a Papa John's on Nellis <laughs> that delivers really, really quick. Oh, that is so yeah. dangerous. Nothing yeah. sounds worse than that. Uh, An on-base Papa John's that delivers. What that is? That is the epitome of the sad American diet. Oh, I know. I know. How fast can I get this greasy cheese into my face? <laughs> yeah, there's hey. a deep. There's a deep dish pizza place right off Kirtland that I just discovered, mm. and it's it's so good, and it's so yeah. bad. It's, I'm, I'm like, why is this so close? Oh, well, there's reasons. They they yeah. thought it through. Hey, Adam, I, I know we're not talking about this, but I want to take it back. You've you've been uh, in the military as both a, a PJ and an instructor. And then on the outside, mm-hmm. you've done the same thing, right? You've been a paramedic and you also have these other things where you train people. Yeah. What's like the dig- biggest difference between like the military side, both as a as a someone that's just working the job and having your team around you? And then also as an instructor of uh, pararescue candidates and then also uh, your, your general civilian population. Uh, that is a ginormously loaded question. Um, it is, yeah. The 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 difference. Uh, one of the f- first things that uh, that I would say is that um, the civilian sector is just soft and very very frustrating. Um, and it took me uh, getting out. It took me a good deal of time to get over just how awesome they thought they were, uh, and and just how soft they actually were. Um, in how they treated each other in their, their physical fitness, their, their drive intensity, you know, I'm coming out of a a group of individuals. It's quite very intense. You guys all know this. Um, but uh, there was always, um, one consistent thing is that people can be douchebags everywhere. And that really frustrated me, uh, throughout my career is the, the infighting, uh, within our own rank system. (laughs) Um, that, that I, I would love to call that out right now since you gave me the opportunity is, is that um, in pararescue, we, we say we eat our own all the time. So please stop. I actually think, and now I'm going to get on a soapbox. Um, I think that one of the key ingredients to the, the mental health problem in special operations is how we treat each other. Um, that you are not going to earn someone's trust and they're going to share their vulnerabilities with you if you are cutting and digging and and using hurtful words all the time. Now, I'm not talking about reducing our hardness in combat. I'm just talking about the team room stuff where you can't say one thing wrong in the midst of, of any peer group without getting destroyed. Now, there's some, of course, a little bit of soft ribbing about being shaped like a fire hydrant, and I think that's, that's as there fair. should be. That's, right, yeah, that's fair. But but I think when somebody shows a little bit of weakness, or maybe they don't do so great on that last op or the training, 
instead of building them up and taking them aside and making sure that you train them and work with them, like you're stuck with this guy. He's, he's, he's assigned to your team for the next four years. So are you going to make him feel like he's less than, are you going to hurt him with your words? Or are you going to go, Hey, um, I don't know if that went so well. What can we do to improve your performance on the next one? Uh, and say it in such a way that they feel like you're actually on their team. Um, I, I just talked with a guy uh, that just um, came off the teams, and and that environment was what he came out of. Someone, oh, you embarrassed us in that briefing because you called an Osprey a a, a CV instead of a CV twenty two or an H twenty. He just he mislabeled a plane in the midst of some briefing that was completely irrelevant. And it's um, garbage, so and, it doesn't matter. Yeah, right? yeah, it's yeah, a death machine, so anyway. Uh, yeah, don't remind me. I fly with them every week. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. People, people. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so so I would just say, I, I think before I go down that rabbit trail, I, it's super important if we, as a collective body of special operators, could think about the way that we treat each other and ask, "Am I treating that guy in such a way that when he has a, a his wife is." gonna leave him and his kids aren't going the way they he wants them to go or maybe he's dealing with that medical issue and he doesn't want to tell anybody um am i that confidant even though we may not be best friends um can he trust me with his thoughts and feelings because i don't know that that is really uh some I, there's a lot of progress being made uh in this world uh, but i don't think we're quite to that point yet so if as you guys are um, promoting and raising leaders from within and getting people into this organization. I, I just hope that we can promote a little bit more of a team aspect in the sense of uh, allowing for sort of people to actually share what they think and feel without getting dumped on. And uh, I'm just using a different term, but yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Trent, I, there was probably way more to that question and I went way off. Um, hey, this is your podcast. No, I just wanted to know that that civilians out there were soft. But like when you're when you're teaching people, like did you have to uh, modify your approach? Because obviously, like you teaching PJ candidates, it's it's one of those things. Like you hit the standard or you don't, you know. And if you don't make it, you're gone. Uh, but like if you're teaching folks, like in uh, your civilian side, like how much more patient do you have to be uh, with these people, or or not at all? Maybe it's 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 a lot easier because they're smarter than we are. Well, uh, one of the, the cool things about both environments that I teach in, one, PJs want to be there, right? So they're, they're, you've got their rapt attention. Um, so I enjoyed teaching PJs. Uh, I did both the paramedic program and the, the weapons and tactics and ground phases and high angle. High angle was kind of my, my baby. But um, uh, I really enjoyed that. So, so now when you get into the civilian world, they're paying you um, to deliver them information. So they've got some investment in it. Uh, with every class that I teach. Um, and so I really enjoy civilians because they're not exposed to this world that I've been in. Uh, I'm, I may mention passively that I was a pararescue and been a paramedic just to give uh, some basic credibility to what I'm about to share with them. And then, um, and then you just share it. And I also try to, every time I start a class, I give people the, the little speech. I say, you're not here just to get a card from me. I want to share some of the things that I've learned along the way so that when you get into um, the situation where your aunt collapses in front of you or your kid takes a knife across their foot and is bleeding all over the kitchen, you know, I'm taking the experiences that I had in the military 
and and also in the in the on the trucks with the firefighter uh, fire, uh <laughs> the fire department it, it, that that these things are real situations and i help people with mindset like when you see something you may lock up I, uh, I give them a little drill on that and i try to induce a little bit of stress in, into some of the evaluations we do at the end of classes so it is um a very similar path and yeah i do have to maybe take a moment and slow things down just a little bit with some civilians. And then I, I've taught as young as 11 years old, you know, these kids that need to get their certification to do homes, um, uh, childcare, like ba- babysitting. For mm-hmm. Yeah. Big yeah, babysitting. Yeah. So yeah, the, like the oldest people I've, I've had in class was like 75. This this lady needed a CPR class and she was a doctor and she's not retired. And, um, and then all the way down to these kids that I have to teach special techniques just so that they can push down on the chest hard enough uh, because they're too light. But, yeah. um, you know, I'd rather have them work really hard for a few minutes and know that they're just going to have to give it everything they got if they en- end up in that situation. So, yeah, I, I, I enjoy teaching civilians a lot. But that that's important, though, because, you know, if you, you know, police, firefighters, uh, paramedics, they're all extremely important and we need them and they're, you know, dubbed as the first responders and all, all that kind of good stuff. So fantastic. But at the same time, you have to be able to save yourself or save folks around you because it, some of that stuff, you know, people can bleed out. If you don't know how to apply a tourniquet appropriately, like it doesn't matter how fast those paramedics get there, that you will bleed out by that time. So yeah. you've got to be able to save yourself, save those around you first, because you may not make it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. My, fav- my favorite quote on this is when seconds matter, first responders are minutes away. Mm-hmm. And that, that, applies <laughs> yeah. to, that applies to everybody. And, you know, police, fire, paramedic, rescue, it doesn't matter. Like the expectation is self-rescue. Yeah. Half, half the class I talk about is, is that national expectation. You're in an urban setting. It's seven to nine minutes. That's what the fire department is shooting for. And, and so that's a good response time. And, and when you are choking, uh, you, and you can't breathe, you've got four minutes before you start to lose all seven of your precious brain cells, Adam. Or Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> the fr- Singer. <laughs> I'm here for it, dude. I got two brain cells left and half the time they're fighting. So no, I like That is, that is an accurate, <laughs> that is an accurate description. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think our generation, um, it, it was easier for us because we had that, that motivation that we knew where we were going. Right. It's, I think it's easy for like certain, you know, cops that haven't experienced things or firefighters or just general civilians to be like, Hey, like, well, when is this ever going to happen to me? We're like, when we all were going through the pipelines or a lot of our training, it was like, Oh, I have a deployment, a deployment coming up. I know when it's going to be, I'm going to go out there and odds are I'm, I'm going to need these skills or else, you know, myself or my teammates are not going to make it home. So I think that mindset though, that, the, the, the illusion of safety popping that bubble for, for most people is the most important part to get the correct mindset to uh, make the training stick. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I try to give them lots of stories in the classes so that they can connect with reality. Um, you know, you're more likely to be struck by lightning than to be in a school shooting, you know? So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Or, or bit by a shark. But, but you'd never know, you'd never know that. I mean, I, I have those conversations with my kids and they're, you know, concerned about it. And I'm like, Hey, listen, this does not happen as often as you think it does. Right. But, but the skill set necessary to survive something like that, I think is highly necessary. 
So oh, like, like the belief systems, the preparedness, knowing how to make a tourniquet out of a t-shirt, all that stuff would, would bode you well in a bicycle accident or, or a school shooting. So, so either way, preparing our kids for immediate action should something happen. And, and starting with a first aid class as a family is a great way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even if for these kids in the pipeline, go to a first aid class, go to a wilderness first aid class. It'll, it'll be the best weekend that you spend um, in preparation. And then you'll have this little card you can carry with you or whatever. But there's a whole bunch of skills that you learn in those classes that, are, that can apply throughout life. And then you can be that one that, that knows and can be the difference. I noticed uh, in my my uh, firefighter years is that when, when people were prepared, they were calm and they were doing the things that were necessary to, to solve problems. But when people were panicking, it almost always made the situation worse. So mindset, mindset, mindset. Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to the, the school shooting thing, like, like, I mean, my daughter recently had something at her school and fortunately for her and I, I take zero credit in it. She, she, this is all her. She just, she was one of the people that remained calm and just kind of, kind of dealt with it. But, you know, one of the things that I make sure that they know how to do is one is they know how to apply tourniquets and they, and they both know CPR like at a minimum, right. And the high. Absolutely. So yep. th- those yep. three big things is like, okay, cool. Let's do it. I think, I think having the skills and the discipline to learn something makes you a better human. Uh, and all those things are super important, but it doesn't make uh, Mike Glover less annoying, you know? So why? <laughs> oh, I like why, Mike. Why are you throwing shots? I know, Mike Glover. We wow. just talked about the, tox- the toxicity, Dude. how we tear each other down, how we, like, we're the first people to be, like, you know, mad at each other or say mean things at each other in a public forum, and that's where you go with it. Like, I just wanted to wrap I it like up Mike. in one he's great. little... I know. <laughs> I don't, he's, done, he's a net positive for everything. Like, there's always personalities we don't like. Trenton, how dare you? Man. See, I'm, a, I'm like, uh, oh man, I've got this business plan. I've got these ideas about how I'm going to present on my Instagram, and then I go look at him. I'm like, oh, he already did it. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he already did it. All right, Adam Getty from TraverseTrainingGroup.com. Go check him out there. Hit him up uh, with a message if any. If you got anything from gut health to supplementation to questions about his training, so TraverseTrainingGroup.com. We'll get it here in the stuff. Adam, as always, we finish every single one of our episodes with kind of like a, a, a request for our guests. And the, and the request is this, if you had one thing that you could, you could, add, um, you know, one piece of advice that you could tell somebody that's trying to do something impossible. And it's not even just being an AFSPEC war or being a PJ or, you know, maybe it's being a first responder. Maybe it's taking that step to actually revolutionize their health and start thinking long-term. What piece of advice would you give to the, to a person that's kind of at the beginning of that journey? never stop. Um, I, I know that's kind of a, a never quit kind of a thing, but it, it's been very, very true in my life. Um, you always keep going, no matter what roadblock that you come into, no matter what uh, trial and tribulation, whether it be uh, illness or death in the family or somebody saying no, um, if you stop, then you will stop right there. Well, dream dream big into the future and then back plan it take those little steps you know nobody becomes an olympic athlete overnight and and you just need to decide today i'm going to do the things today that are going to get me to my goal for next year um so it and i would also take little steps those are, 
in order to develop really good habits, taking little steps is really important. Easy, swallowable um, ideas and or mindset shifts that if like I, I can't convince myself that I'm going to be a billionaire, but I can convince myself that I'm going to choose one more productive activity tomorrow um, that's going to get me towards being a billionaire. Or if you if you have a, a weight goal, having a massive shift in your in your diet overnight is not sustainable. But if you say, look, I'm going to go from four pizzas a month to three pizzas a month this month, that's doable. Um, you know, make those tiny little steps in your life. Personally attacked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Stop yeah. with the pizza hate. Look, all right. Cheeseburgers, green chili cheeseburgers. I don't yeah. care what it is. Um, <laughs> ma- ma- take little steps. Man, that is awesome. Adam, thanks for all, uh, thanks for, you know, first and foremost for your service, for everything that you've given to me over your career. I'm glad that we crossed paths. Thanks for still being involved in the community in the way that you are from teaching, you know, first aid to helping, you know, young folks find the way uh, essentially to, to be good people and to be good citizens and for everything that you do as a, a father and still involved with some of the scariest stuff ever, ever, which is flying with, uh, you know, student pilots and being hoisted in the dark of night. So thanks for everything that you do. We appreciate you coming on. Everybody check Adam out over at TraverseTrainingGroup.com. Hit him up for all of your training needs in the uh, local area of New Mexico. And uh, if you just want to pick his brain on stuff. So he put that out there. So, so hit him up. Thanks for following along for uh, everybody that listens to the podcast and follows us on Instagram. Hit us up with a DM if you have any questions. Make sure you're liked and subscribe to everything we do so you don't miss stuff when we come out with it like this. With that said, appreciate y'all. Thanks. Train hard. See you next time. Later.